This is Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. And welcome once again, everyone, to Four Color Radio. I am your host, Jay Bardella, here for another exciting episode. I know it's going to be exciting because we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite films uh and it was great to do the research for this episode because i had i had to watch it again um and that was that was not a problem not a problem at all uh this is four color radio where we talk about the music based uh, that comes from films that are based on comics and comic book characters uh and we are broadcasting live from the origin road studios here in beautiful sherwood park alberta uh, we are broadcasting live across the Sound Sugar Radio Network. And if you would like to join us, if you go to soundsugarradio.com, you can click on the live chat button uh, right on the front page. And you can either create a persona or you can use an anonymous persona. Uh, and you can join the chat with uh, a few of the, 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 the ones of twos of listeners that we have. And Snowden, Snowden, Snowden. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course he's tuning in. He's always there. Um, before we continue on any further, though, we do need to acknowledge that the show is being broadcast from Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people, and we are very grateful for the opportunity to do what we are doing this evening, which is going to be having fun, sharing some tunes, uh, getting a little inspired, getting a little nostalgic um, for a decade ago. Yeah. Can you yeah. have nostalgia that's only like from 10 years ago? I think so. Can you? I think, I mean, you can be nostalgic about yesterday if it's a good day. I guess. Right? <laughs> well, those words of wisdom come from my <laughs> guest tonight. Uh, my, my, my good friend, my ex-coworker, my, uh, my uh, amuse at times, because I saw oh. your art and inspired me a lot of times to do art. Um, but the Mr. Delightful uh, Andy Cookson. The fans voted and they wanted me back. <laughs> they wanted you back. I, you know... <laughs> I get it. Those ones and twos in the chats, they, they came together. There was collusion. <laughs> there was collusion. Well, you're back because when you first agreed to do the show, you wanted to do the soundtrack to Scott Pilgrim. And I said, no, Andy, mm -hmm. that is special to me. And I have special plans for that. And those plans did not happen, even remotely <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I said, I'm going to get somebody in who I know is going to know the music and love it and appreciate it and bring his A game to this. So well, uh, you honor me by making me your backup school. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you were in good company. You yes. were in a very elite group. That's good. Uh, <laughs> so we are talking about Scott Pilgrim, uh, specifically the music from Scott Pilgrim versus the world, um, uh, which was the title of the second volume of the mm -hmm. series of Scott Pilgrim, which they went with. Um, a delightful film filled with tons of dirty, grungy, messy tunes. The best. The best. The best <laughs> this, kind. Is, this is what you lean into a little bit, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, this is like, um, in particular, Sex bob like that band in the movie is so inherently rock and roll to me. And rock and roll in the indie sect. It's like... It's a little droney. It's a little distorted. It's 
A very, little. You're, you're, you're a little <laughs> kind. <laughs> a little kind. Uh, and it just reminds me of just bands that I went out to see as a someone that was of the age of Scott Pilgrim and his friends yeah. in Canada. So <laughs> this movie has a, a deep resonation with me because I just feel seen by almost every part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's awesome. And I mean, there were... There were bands that were on the, that are on the soundtrack, some of which we're going to listen to tonight that had some established cred. They had some mainstream success like Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah, they, they had a couple of hits. They had a couple. They did. All right. Yeah. Um, and then there are like, there's other stuff on there. That's just like, what the hell is this? And where yeah. did it come from? And who are these guys? And yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. Um, it's also very Canadian. Yes. Uh, in a lot aggressively of ways. Aggressively so. Aggressively so. <laughs> I don't know. Is that possible? Is it possible to be know. aggressively say, Canadian? I think so. Can you? Can, can that be a thing? <laughs> it's, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's... It is? Okay. it's a real thing. Yeah. Well, like how, how big is that kind of... Like, we can't even really call it... The closest thing that I was describing it as is usually saying it's like the college scene. Yeah. Um, but we don't really have that in Canada. And a lot of this music isn't quite... I don't want to call it grunge. No. But it's is it garage rock? It's more I would put it in a garage rock category. I mean, there's there's bands on here like Black Lips that are that's like a kind of a flower punk type band, so it right. takes some of the like the 60s and melds it into some of that punky vibe that you get to, and I guess it bleeds into garage rock as well, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say. I guess it's it's still very much college music, right. no matter where you are. And there's a is there a big scene for that in Canada, or is it very kind of like Vancouver, Toronto, and in in French Montreal? Like, <laughs> I feel like it's it's nationwide to a degree, and I think it's really of that age because I think that's where you start to branch out. You're exploring music. You're being introduced to music. Certainly, at times, I mean, in my life, I was so dependent at that age on going to record stores and the record store employee showing me something that was really cool mm -hmm. and I would turn and share it with my friends. It's a little different now that you can just algorithmically be handed everything, but yeah, um, I, it was, it was so much about earning it back then. Right. And I think that's kind of what the movie somewhat conveys. Cause it's there. I mean, they're using flip phones. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it is about 10 years ago, but yeah. They're playing old Nintendo games. They're, they're a lot of the music that they are listening to or the shirts they're wearing are things that are, you know, a little bit back. I think one of the characters is wearing like a Sloan shirt at one point, yeah. a CBC shirt. I mean, again, aggressively Canadian. <laughs> but uh, I, it, it, to me, reminded me so much of like being in my early 20s, loving music, going and finding music. Yeah. And you can see that with these characters. It's kind of the journey of finding music and finding love. It's crazy, like that. A comic book was so musically driven, yeah. Because that's not really necessarily the medium that you'd want to showcase music, um, but they did. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But for right now, uh, let's get into some some tracks here. Uh, you know what? We're just going to play it because uh, you know Kim will count us in and uh, into this block of three, and we'll chat a little bit about them when we come back. So, uh, well, I guess we can say, take it away, Kim. Thank <laughs> you. 
just fine Drive right through the needles I oh my My, 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 my I got a stereo You just gotta turn the knob Well maybe we'll go As far as we can And that, of course, is oops. Oh, that was a sneak peek. Uh, <laughs> just before the sneak peek um, was "Garbage Truck," obviously by Sex Bomb, the the band uh, in Scott Pilgrim that Scott is the basis for. And uh, uh, just before that song was the song "Scott Pilgrim" <laughs> by a band called Plum Tree, which uh, Andy and I were talking about a little bit off air. There, just trying to remember Plum Tree. Yeah. Um, don't remember much about them. This is kind of, I think the first I've heard of Plum Tree, but I'm doing some research. It, it looks like this is from an album that came out in 98. Um, I was saying to you off air, it reminds me a bit of a band, like similar to a band named Cub that was out around that time. Right. Uh, again, you know, could classify it as aggressively Canadian music. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if going off of that one song, it sounds like something I would like to investigate and explore. Dig in a little bit. some more of the music. Yeah. I mean, uh, more than just the namesake for the film, it's yeah. uh, it's very much uh, in step with all the music that's played in the film, too. So Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, leading off that trio of songs was We Are Sex Babom by... Uh, by sex, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> you say it too often, you get it's very easy to yeah. get tripped up. And of course, when you're watching the movie, everyone botches the name, and then Kim's always aggressively Canadianly telling yeah. them to the correct version of it. Um, <clears throat> but Sex Bobom isn't a band, right? It is primarily a person. It is primarily Beck. It is Beck. Beck, who I'm wearing on my shirt right now. Rocking some Beck. Yeah. For and those this, of you watching at home. Yeah, yeah. This is, you know, for the format, I'm sure this was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, but it, this is Beck, like peak spinal injury Beck, right. sad sack Beck, who is my favorite Beck because he writes the best music. This is Sea Change Beck. This is Morning Phase Beck. And this, this, Beautiful soundtrack lands somewhere in between, and it's Beck kind of channeling some of that you know, one foot in the grave, Odelay era Beck that was that kind of crunchy, weird music that was blending in all these different genres. It was a bit folk, it was a bit rap. Yeah. And it's not it's not rap in in what Sex Bomb puts on, but it's like it's very much the rock elements of early Beck music. Yeah. And uh like to me, it it is the fact that it kicks off the movie really in that opener, yeah. where they rip right into "We Are Sex Bomb" and it pulls out, and you see like the band is playing, and it, the couch is getting further and further away, and it just sets the the tone for what you're about to see, and it's to me it made me very excited right off the jump. So, <laughs> well, it is. From, it's it's like it a brilliant opening, yeah. to the film, and that 
pace and style continues throughout the entire film. And that's one of the things I love about it. It's nearly a two hour long film, um, but it clips and cuts and it's not like um, a, uh, you know, dark Knight movie where it's just endless cuts and yeah. you can't ever see anything, but it just keeps moving along and you don't end up on a scene for like 10 or 15 minutes and, and things go and there's a point to everything. And when you get to the point of the scene, it's done yeah. and you're on to the next scene. Uh, the only time you get any extended sequences is when Scott's fighting one of the evil exes. Yeah. Um, which I think are really misnamed. Like, are they really evil? Not really. They're just kind of exes. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds nice. The alliteration's nice. Yeah, evil exes. it is. But the, some of them just really kind of get shat on in the movie. And I yeah. think that's a little unfair. There's some of them that are just seem like they're okay. Yeah. You can't jilted jerks. Yeah. Like I mean, Matthew, that. Matthew Patel was like her seventh grade boyfriend. Yeah. And it's like, really? How is he evil? Yeah. Like, what is he? I don't it's know. It's like trying to bring the pirate look back. I mean, he's. <laughs> is that a pirate look? Yeah. <laughs> There's I mean... so many quotable lines from that movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, we should probably avoid. Uh, getting into too many of them we'll just be going on them all night um what we should get into is into the next block of music and we're going to lead off with uh the black lips uh who we mentioned see now i can't remember did we mention them on air or off air? i think we mentioned them on air. on air yeah, yeah you're talking so. about the black lips and they're they're um see to me i'm i conflate because of the name mm -hmm. i go flaming lips and Flaming Lips are also kind of like this super crazy, dirty, loud yeah. band. So In big inflatable orbs rolling <laughs> over their crowd. <laughs> so the Black Lips, what's their, what's their deal? They're what's, out of Atlanta. They're um, kind of like the godfathers of the flower punk resurgence in music. Yeah. Uh, this track, uh, Oh Katrina, is off their album, uh, Good, Bad, Not Evil, which is an incredible album. Okay. And that... That album and the one that followed it, which is Arabia Mountain, uh, those two, if you're looking to get into any Black Lips music, I can't recommend them enough. Like those are, uh, those are they're the on heavy rotation in my library. So, <laughs> And they, they've been around for, well, you call them the godfathers yeah. of that. So they've been around for quite a while. Quite a while. I believe like since late, I want to say late nineties, maybe early aughts. Yeah. So they've been churning out albums. They have a new one probably once every three or four years. Oh, okay. So, so they're, they're fairly on top of it. They're making yeah. some tunes. And they do a, a fun little, if you like this kind of music, they have a fun little side project that they do with King Khan and the Shrines, right. which is called the Almighty Defenders. Okay. Same kind of music, get, takes it even more into the 60s kind of flowery jangle pop. It's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's incredible. Well, following them will be a song uh, by Broken Social Scene, which is uh, kind of a big deal in Canada. Yeah, they're kind um, of a big deal. And then there's, other acts that we're going to be hearing from later on that are connected to broken social mm -hmm. scene because broken social scene was just this kind of rotating revolving door of Canadian artists that the, you, you'd come in for a while and you'd play with the band and you'd find your footing and then you go off and off. do your own project. They're the Wu-Tang clan of Canadian <laughs> indie rock. <laughs> that's, that's, a brilliantly frightening comparison. <laughs> aggressively <laughs> Canadian. Aggressively Canadian. Well, let's get, before we get aggressively Canadian, let's get aggressively Atlantean, I guess. Is that, can we? Like, I think, that's, I think that's, that fits. That fits. Yeah. And uh, we're going to start off with uh, the Black Lips and Ocatrina, and then we'll follow it up with some uh, broken social scene. And then we'll talk a little bit more about them when we come back. So sit back and enjoy some more music from 2010's Scott Pilgrim. Thank you. 
And that is Broken Social Scene, the Canadian supergroup producing type collective, uh, and their song Anthem for a 17-year-old girl. Uh, if you listen to the lyrics in that song, uh, you will realize that this song could not be more aptly named. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and we were talking a little bit about Broken Social Scene uh before and then Andy and I were talking more off air as well, but it's uh, like a truly unique musical endeavor. Um, and even according to like the, the profile page online, uh, it has as few as six and as many as 19 members at any given time. And if you go to a broken social scene show, you, you might see, like you said, you might see Feist, or you might see yeah. Emily Haynes, you might see, Anybody who happened Anybody. to be a member at any point in time. <laughs> yeah, there's still, there's a few core members that will always be there, but it's just a little bit of a rotating uh, lineup. It's no different than, you know, New Pornographers, another Canadian band, or that you sometimes like Nico Case will be there and sometimes she won't, but right. still the sound is there. Yeah. The band is there. It's this beautiful hotbed of creation. Yeah. Uh, and they, and we were saying off air too, like the side projects all, sounded a bit different than broken social scenes. So their interests were, um, you know, maybe not represented in the collective, but they went off and sought out these interests on their own and then yeah. became, you know, massively successful Canadian acts of their own right. Yeah. Like oh no, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Metric obviously being a, a huge one. Feist obviously being another massive one yeah. as well. Um, there was <laughs> certainly, yeah, there's no shortage of, of talent that came out of the, the group and, and went on and musically, um, you know this this song that particular anthems for a seventeen year old girl is is different. It's far less aggressive than most yeah. of the other songs on this <laughs> album uh, and on the soundtrack. You know, because there are there are certain points in Scott Pilgrim where you know everything just kind of like chills out. You know, Scott's got to come down. He's got to figure yeah. stuff out because it's it's really about a guy who's just his, his life is literally a train wreck. And then every once in a while, he's like, oh, I gotta. I got to fix this. Yeah. Something, something's got to, about more than just eating garlic bread. You got to, <laughs> <laughs> you could do it every day. Yeah. Just eat it all the time. Um, our next track coming up. Um, it was, it was an obvious no brainer for, to play on the show tonight. Right. Cause it's, it's probably the most recognizable tune for most people who are even casually acquainted with the soundtrack. Um, but you decided to throw me a little curveball on there. Throwing curves. Throwing curves. <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of like uh, the, the version that I was, I'm used to and I enjoy very much is the, the soundtrack version, um, which is nice and clean and polished and it's all good. And, I've been told repeatedly, that's my jam. I like yeah. my things all shiny. Um, <laughs> but you're like, no, we're going to do the movie version. I want it dirty. You want it dirty. So we're going to try to keep the the theme in there a little bit where it's uh, not quite as polished. Um, right. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So um, do you want to talk about a little bit about it first or do you want to talk about it after? Uh, we can get into it a little. I mean, sure, uh, yeah. the reason I like this version is that, uh, you know, I'm a Brie Larson stan. I, uh, <laughs> I kind of uh, fell in love with Brie Larson as an actress in uh, the United States of Terra. And then she was in this incredible movie called uh, Short Term 12, which I think might have came out after this movie. But she is someone who has incredible amount of talent. I thought she really brought a lot to the performance and yeah. I think we were talking before uh going on air she's what 17 18 years old she's 17 in the movie she's actually the the youngest cast member in the film yeah playing the oldest character in the film which is 
weird, but yeah. You know. <laughs> and, un- and unnerving, like to get up and basically like perform the song of a tried and true band yeah, and perform it in front of a crowd full of extras, albeit extras yeah. still like packed putting, warehouse, packed like warehouse, hundreds of people. And yeah. it's like, Hey, go and sing. Yeah. Do your best. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I will say like Brie Larson did do a very good job and because I, you know, listened to this, the music before, um, to prep myself for the show. Uh, I have, I have grown to like it a lot more. Good. Uh, so I am, I'm quite, uh, quite happy with it. There's the music is almost identical. There's a yeah. little bit of difference in it, but, uh, it's certainly the Brie Larson's version is obviously from the film and it has that, that feel. It fits in with the tone of the film, the metric version that they use for the soundtrack. Again, super clean, super polished, very and, uh, polished, but uh, we're going to, we're going to take some of the polish off here and we're going to let <laughs> uh, Brie Larson as backed by the Canadian band metric uh, regale us with their version of black sheep from the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack.
going to give you all the feedback on that one because you earned it. And yeah. uh, so did Miss Larson, uh, pre-Captain Marvel Brie Larson there, leading metric on that cover version of Black Sheep. Um, one of the things we talked about off air there was the fact that that song's like five minutes long. They play just more than a minute, a minute and change of it in the movie. Yeah, just a brief little snippet, really. Yeah, but they have her do the whole thing. Yeah. Which, uh, from your end, you you have a lot of respect for and you really dig that version. I'm, I'm coming around. That's I'm coming good. around to it. If anything, <laughs> that's why I'm here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> to bring a little to extra. To change minds. To change minds. Yeah. To, to expose us to new things. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's pretty cool. And do you happen to know, like, was this, this was written for the film, was it not? Yeah, was, this yeah. is strictly just a, a soundtrack piece for them. Yeah. And I'm sure they've played it live as part of their set, I would imagine. I yeah. Mean, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a killer track for Metric. To be honest, it's probably one of the ones that I, when I think of Metric, I think of this song. Yeah, you know? I've never seen them um, perform. I've seen I've seen Metric open, but I've never seen them headline. So when they when they're opening, they do like most of their radio hits. Yeah, um, which are a plenty. Yeah, they are surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of like, and you you tend to think that it's. Um, well, you know, it's, they're Canadian, so they're just getting the, the Canadian bump, as it were, from the yeah. CRTC. Like the USS. Um, you know, yeah. USS is like, <laughs> I can't imagine anywhere else in the world is playing USS, but yeah. in Edmonton, they're the only band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the, um, uh, the Human Kebab had his own radio show yeah. uh, that was in the highest ratings were in Edmonton, yeah. which was crazy. But we can get on a whole other tangent about uh, Canadian <laughs> Canadian bands and how, how massively popular they can be in Canada and be unheard of anywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's only, you know, and then people always kind of pull out the odd thing. It was like, well, you get like something like the guess who, and you get a rush. Um, but even the tragically hip didn't really break out of Canada no. that much. They had that SNL appearance, but that was really <clears throat> it. Like yeah. Their, not a huge thing. That's more of a Lauren Michaels, like being a fan. Than, yeah. Than you know, the U S asking for it. Yeah. Um, with a lot of the, with some of the bands and I mean, um, Obviously, in the next set, we're going to hear from a band that, are they an actual band? Like, are Crash and the Boys a legit thing? Or is that something that was totally made for the movie? That's me. Those are actually members of Broken Social Scene wrote those songs. <laughs> <laughs> and they are ridiculous. They are. And I mean, the the one we're, we are going to play, I don't want to spoil, but I was really tempted to include So Sad because it's just, what, three or five seconds? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I could have reacted quickly yeah. enough on the soundboard to, to, to start it and stop it in time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, it was probably one of a couple of the core guys then from yeah. broken social scene doing that. It's now, um, yeah. And it's hilarious in the movie. It's just how they, yeah. how they win the crowd over with their, <laughs> their non music and, and to juxtapose against them, um, this, this fabricated band from this relatively, you know, certainly not known outside of Canada, broken social scene. Um, we're going to play off against them with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, small little band you may have heard of. Yeah, they you know yeah. popped out of uh, England during some kind of invasion. I don't know who they were invading or why, but you know there was an invasion going on. There was on, an apparently. invasion, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I I found that as I was watching the movie and going through it, I found the Stone song very out of place. Really, it didn't work for me because i was getting so into the music the musical tone of the film yeah, i guess which was this very like it's because everything's centered around the battle of the bands and how you just have these uh, 
underground. And even though Brie Larson's band is big, is big, yeah, big yeah, but they're very still very much yeah. just this garage band warehouse playing. Not, uh, you know, style. one of the biggest bands in rock and roll. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the song that they use from the Stones is 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 cool. One of my favorites. And aptly placed because it's about <clears throat> under my thumb and how Ramona's under the control of Gideon. Gideon. So yeah. it's like kind of like anthems for a 17-year-old girl. Like the placement made sense. But I, I, yeah, I agree with, with, with what you're saying. It does. Yeah, it just felt, totally, it felt a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Still Seems a great song. Great song. <laughs> it still felt uh, a little odd. So um, I mean, there's no point in really talking at length about the Rolling Stones because everyone knows who they are yeah. and what they do. I mean, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. We can say that. Yeah. I mean, other, other than that, uh, yeah. A guy who was like not – actually, when you were on the first time, was that not like the day after? I think so. Or the day of that he had passed? I think it was. Oh, okay. Callback. Yeah, that's go. what I'm here for. That's why. I, that's what the fans wanted. They wanted me to refer back to the other episode. <laughs> Twos of threes of four yeah. color radians. Color radians. I guess. Color road. Sounds like radio from Colorado. Oh, okay. <laughs> we won't do that. We'll come up with something better. Maybe something. Can come up with a fan name in the chat. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's let's dive into this um this very diametrically opposed two songs. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the fabricated crash and the boys with their delightful hit we hate you please die um which will then be followed up by some rolling stones under my thumb so uh sit back and enjoy a couple more tracks here from the 2010 scott pilgrim film Lonely, lonely 
it easy indeed that is the rolling stones with under my thumb the most not out of place song in the scott pilgrim movie but the most um uh audibly different yeah jarring jarring jarring. (laughs) but speaking of jarring before that was we hate you please die by crash and the boys very jarring (laughs) the most aggressively canadian most aggressively canadian (laughs) um all right, it is that time of the show where we drop a few stats down about the uh, the film or TV show that we are discussing the soundtrack of. So let's get right into it, if we can. And we can. We can. Because we are in control. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was released on August 13th of 2010. Had a budget of $85 million, and that was likely due to the very large, very famous cast um, that included... Uh, I'll, I'll name some of them off here in a minute. Um, well, it's it's Michael Sarah uh, was the lead, and you have uh, early in their career actors like um, Aubrey Plaza, um, Brie Larson, who we've talked about already, but you also had Chris Evans, Brandon Routh, uh, Jason Schwartzman, um, just Anna Kendrick, who was, I guess, probably still early in her career, but she, I think she had a bit of a name even by that Pretty point. Pretty early, I think, by that point. Yeah. Um, so and there were so many people. Uh, it's It was absolutely crazy. So had a huge budget, and sadly, uh, it only grossed $49 million, uh, while it was in the theaters. So it just made over half of what it was supposed to make, which is not good, so it was officially a flop. Oof. However, upon DVD <laughs> release, it did uh, very, very well. It made it money back very quickly. It had just a huge underground following. It was received really well by critics. Yeah. Like, uh, people said, this is a really good movie, but apparently so niche, uh, and a lot of people pointed their finger at the, uh, the advertising that was on TV and stuff like that, and it just, they just kind of didn't hit the right tone to suck people in. That's funny because I I know from the I don't know. Do you remember the ads? Oh yeah, I do because they were targeted to us. Yeah, oh well, yeah. And I think that was Specifically. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but the ads that I remember they had uh, that Prodigy track, "Invaders Must Die." Yeah, and I'm like, how can you not be hyped up about? <laughs> Seeing all this insane imagery from the movie and those people bursting into coins, and like I couldn't wait. Not so. enough, not enough Nintendo people saw the ads, I and, guess. Uh, and not, yeah, not enough, <laughs> enough Mario fans saw it and, and can do it. Um, the film is incredibly Canadian, as we've been saying throughout the show, aggressively so. It yeah. uh, is set in Toronto. Um, lots of the cast members, so Michael Sarah, um, the actress who plays Kim in there, uh, who plays Knives, Canadian. So a lot of the lead principal uh, characters are all Canadian, um, supplemented with American actors in their usually 
like more aggressive and more weird roles. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, so that works out pretty well. Some fun facts about the film. Uh, at one point, Scott is fighting one of the evil exes, Lucas Lee, the, uh, the film star who's played by Chris Evans and Chris Evans character, instead of fighting him, just sends his stunt doubles after Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and there's like a dozen stunt doubles. And it turns out those are actually Chris Evans stunt doubles really? from his movie. So he brought them over <laughs> into the film to use for this particular bit, which was pretty funny. Um, and in Brie Larson's band, the drummer that's playing in Brie's band there is actually a drummer. Her name is Tennessee Thomas. She's a professional drummer, plays in a couple bands. Uh, and of note, her father, uh, Pete Thomas, is the drummer for Elvis Costello's band. Ah. So there's lots of cool little connections all around inside there. And if you if you dig into the the uh, the the fun facts about Scott Pilgrim, you'll find, especially there's a whole breakdown about the ages of the actors and the ages of the characters they're playing. It's all over the map. Yeah. None of it makes any it's sense. It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> um, the film is based on the six volume comic series simply titled Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and the series was only complete up to volume five at the time when they were producing the film. And as they're working on the film, um, the writer and artist, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, was actually working on volume six. And during the course of working on it, he decided to change the ending because he didn't like the ending he had laid out for the book. And because the book had kind of morphed as it went along, he changed the ending. Uh, and at which point between that and some test audience work from the original ending that was done for Scott Pilgrim, they actually rewrote and reshot the ending of the film. Oh. So... Potentially somewhere out there, there's another version with a different ending um, where Scott does not choose the person that he chooses. I don't, it's a 10 year old movie. Can there be spoilers? I think you point? can spoil can, it. Can yeah. we spoil it? I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to make anybody angry. I don't want people coming at me in the chat. <laughs> um, but yes, they do change up the, uh, the ending of the film through a couple of factors. Um, the books themselves, volume one was released in August of 2004 uh, and they were released almost once once a year up until, uh, but there was a break uh, kind of near the end, but volume six came out uh, July of 2010. So actually just before the movie drops. Um, after the movie drops uh, for the year of 2010, all six volumes placed in the top 20 of comic book sales two comic book shops in North America combined selling over 100,000 copies just in 2010 alone. So upon the release of each of the volumes um, through 2004 to 2010, they had all been kind of continually selling and as the movie hype built up, uh, did well. But then when the movie dropped, sales went through the roof. And I remember as a retailer at that time, trying to get copies of the book and we, our store stocked up on them in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, and then by the time the movie dropped, the demand was so high and the publisher Oni Press didn't have any stock when the movie dropped. And that <laughs> was just brutal. So you had all these stores were trying to get copies and put them on the shelf. People were asking for it. Can't find any. Uh, and our stock went through pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty wild ride like that. The, the ties and the connections between the, the film and the book and <clears throat> the way it drove the audiences, like I said, selling a hundred million, a hundred thousand copies uh, of your book series in a year. A comic book series is huge. Massive. That's crazy. Yeah. And at that point, some of those volumes have now been out for, you know, six, seven years, and they still break the top 20 for the year. Yeah. So they're selling like gangbusters, which was, and, and 
good on Brian. Good on yeah. He, uh, Brian comes from, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley's from uh, London, Ontario, about an hour away from where I grew up. He went to the university of Western Ontario and stuff like that. And, uh, and now he won't return my calls. So, well, you know, hey, life goes he's on. He's got that Scott Pilgrim money. He's got this fat, fat spot, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim money. He's got gold coins. He's literally walking on gold coins throughout his house. Yeah. Because he can. Right? Yeah. If he runs out, he just has to fight an ex for some more. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> I bet you he is kind of like the complete opposite of Beck. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, Beck, and we're going to hear from Beck in a moment, which is why I forced that transition. That's a great segue. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Beck is... For me, my favorite Beck moment is um, Beck getting interrupted by Jay-Z. Um, is it Jay-Z or whoever it was? Who's dating Beyonce? Beyonce. That's Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Okay, yeah. So Beck, Beck's getting a Grammy or something like that, and Jay-Z runs up on stage to like, this award should have went to Beyonce, blah, blah. And then people afterwards did a breakdown because it was for album of the year, I think. Yeah. And Beck wrote all the songs and played every instrument on his album that he won this Grammy for. And then Beyonce's album in comparison had something like close to a hundred people that were involved in the, in the yeah. music and writing and stuff <laughs> like that. And I'm just like, man. And that was for me, because I'd heard Beck's stuff, obviously, and Odele was, was huge and part of the stuff that came off of that was huge and popular. But it was that moment and actually seeing that comparison where it was like, like this dude, like this was like McCartney level type stuff to me. Yeah. This is, I'm writing every word and I'm playing every instrument. Who plays every instrument? And he plays weird stuff. Weird stuff. Beck does not just play like, I'm just going to play the guitar. No, he's digging like some sort of, you know, pawn shop instrument that he found <laughs> and he's finding a new way to make it sound even stranger. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's crazy. And the song that we're going to lead off the last two songs of the night with here is, is called Ramona. Uh, it's played twice during the film, once by Michael Sarah's character, Scott Pilgrim, and then once near the end where, you know, you get the, the soundtrack version. Yeah. Um, the it, former, a mumblecore ballad. Yeah. The, the latter, <laughs> a beautiful Beck piece that sounds like it could have been on, you know, sea change or morning phase. Just like, and it, and it's, in this beautiful spot in the movie mm-hmm. and it's so good. Like it, it literally, it, it tugs at the heartstrings yeah. a little bit. It's, it's, it's incredible. You're obviously a huge, huge fan of Beck. There's probably nothing you can, you've got the shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say uh, one little tidbit I, that I read about, I mean, not only that Beck did the music, but they do kind of a subtle nod to Beck in the film. Mm. Um, there's a line that uh, Michael Sarah says to uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, where he says something like peaches and gravy. And mm. it, apparently it's an amalgamation of two of the song titles from mutations Okay, or no midnight vultures where it's uh, peaches and cream and uh, nicotine and gravy. <laughs> And so he says, it's peaches and gravy. <laughs> now it's, I guess, their little nod to Beck. So Nice. Well, the last two songs we're going to play for you tonight, folks, uh, are, are kind of both Beck. One is Beck himself uh, with the, uh, the love song from Scott Pilgrim called Ramona. And then we're going to close out with another track from Sex Babam, uh, which is also Beck, which is fantastic. The guy is... I can do anything. Anything he wants. Anything he wants. <laughs> All righty. So uh, here we go. The last two songs here, closing out the night for uh, from our Scott Pilgrim soundtrack.
Bomb, and we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. And that is Beck doing his best impersonation of a three-piece garage brand, a garage band that doesn't really know how to play that well. Yeah. And it's and it's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sex bomb uh, with threshold. Before that was Beck himself doing what Beck does best, apparently, which is to be very sad and morose and write yeah. beautiful love songs. And that was uh, that song was called Ramona. <laughs> Perfectly Beck. Perfectly back. <laughs> um, I guess one of the you got any other tidbits you want to throw out there before we uh, uh, before we start uh, wrapping up? A little tidbit. Um, we were saying off air. Uh, I I found this was interesting that Chris Murphy of Sloan was the music performance supervisor. So more Canadian, more Canadian. He <laughs> taught the band how to look like a band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though we were saying Michael Sarah had to really dumb down his ability. Yeah, to, he already knew how to play the bass, so they basically said, "Don't play so well. Yeah, you have to learn how to play worse." <laughs> 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 Which I can't imagine. And I know a couple, a couple of the folks that are in the chat uh, with us tonight. Um, we've got a couple of musicians in there, and like I can't imagine, and I don't know if they can either. Is just to say like, don't play as well as you do. Yeah. Like somehow, but I don't even know how you would do that. Like, how do you deliberately skip notes or yeah. stutter? Like, or are you, are you that talented that you can do that? You can make it look like you're not talented. Yeah. I was like asking that? the sun not to shine. That's <laughs> <laughs> another way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but, um, at the end of the day, this is this is easily, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is the greatest comic book movie adaptation ever made. Yeah, like, hands I'll down. back that up. I, I'm down with it, and this is one of the the greatest soundtracks of all time. Yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, Edgar Wright started out in music videos. You can you can see it here. Like he's crafted this soundtrack perfectly along. You know, yeah. albeit maybe under my thumb tonally a little weird but yeah. like it's a perfect 
uh, encapsulation of the, the source material and what you're seeing on the screen, the visuals, like everything. Yeah. It's all, can't get better. Oh, it is. And I mean, there's a couple of guys uh, are talking in the chat. There are a couple of folks. I shouldn't say that. Um, you know, they're uh, talking about how, how excellent Edgar Wright is uh, yeah. at his stuff. And of course, you know, when we, I kind of made the comment that potentially somewhere out there, there's an alternate ending to Scott Pilgrim. And, uh, and one of the, one of the fills that are in our group there is just kind of, uh, longs for that uh, his version of Ant Man to see what yeah. Edgar Wright would have done with Ant Man oh, in the Marvel Universe. Would have loved to have seen it. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, I mean that movie was it was fun and it, it was, was fine. It was fine, but yeah, yeah, that was about it. You know, that was it. Uh, I think you still get a you get some of that Edgar Wright flavor in the finished product. I, mm -hmm. I'm sure some of the stuff like the the train set battle near the end. I'm sure that smacks of Edgar Wright, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I believe we were robbed of the. The total experience yeah so. well, absolutely and uh there's some love in the chat for beck as well good uh, so uh he's uh his his efforts and, and work <laughs> are greatly appreciated uh and you know what i greatly appreciate andy i appreciate you Aww. coming out here Aww. again making the trip out bringing some awesome tunes um and and bringing some great little bits of of trivia and stuff um do you got anything that you'd like to to plug again uh, uh, i know we tried to plug last time and you're like i got nothing to plug and then like two weeks later you're doing like a stand-up show yeah uh, <laughs> still trying to find time to to get on stage and and uh work out some jokes um i do post uh i started the year trying to do a music review of a new album each day mm -hmm. uh on instagram life came in and had other ideas at times, but uh, I try to review a new album every couple of days on my Instagram at Andy C. Cookson. And uh, right now I'm uh, participating in Inktober. Yeah, you are. On uh, my second uh, Instagram account, uh, Andy Cookson Illos, I L L O S. Uh, today there's a pretty fun one. The prompt was stuck, so I had to <laughs> go back into the memory bank and uh, recreate one of the my favorite moments from There's Something About Mary, and now leave it to the listeners to probably figure out how that all comes together. Yeah, it's ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might have to edit that one for the radio station. I don't know. Maybe it's, well, we'll see. Might be okay. <laughs> might be okay. Might might slide past the sensors. Yeah, <laughs> should be all right. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank I you. Appreciate for it. Me. And I do encourage people to go check out Andy's stuff. Uh, he does uh, post a lot of really cool, unique music. Uh, his artwork has been on fire for Inktober. Um, you know, uh, throw him some love. Keep a uh, keep a keep track and tabs on him because he might do another stand up show. And uh, maybe the next time he does, there'll be uh, three people in the audience instead of just two. That would be incredible. And That'd if they could laugh, fifty percent even increase. better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not even better awesome thank you so much my friend thank you for um me. next week on four color radio our guest is going to be edmonton's if not canada's foremost authority on star wars mr shane turgeon and uh he's gonna bring us the music star wars because that's what shane knows and that's what shane does so uh if you're a fan of star wars we encourage you to check it uh to tune in and check us out if you're not a fan of star wars check it anyway you might be a little bit surprised and you will probably be very entertained about what shane's bringing to the table next yeah. week so uh he you knows know, his stuff he does absolutely he does again i am your host uh jay bardella this has been four color radio i'd like to thank you for all for tuning in and uh we're going to close out here with our theme music from from composer Adrian Ellis. Our opening montage theme music is by my buddy Phil Scott. 
Have a lovely, lovely evening.